0: And so as always, before we begin to study the depths of our unsearchable inheritance in Jesus Christ, then changing epigraph to our immersion into the depths of our inheritance, Luke chapter 4 chapter 24 verse 44. Then he said to them, "These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, but all things must be fulfilled which were written in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms concerning me. So that we as members of the Body of Christ partake with Christ, and all that was written about Him in Scripture, we will continue our study in the direction of our cooperation with the Holy Spirit and what we must do on our end so that we receive the right to set aside our former way of life so that we can be clothed in
1: a new way
0: of life. This is the calling of every person who has come into the family of God, and if this calling Is somehow dimmed or it is unknown to man. This means that he is heading along an unknown path, thinking that he's going into the kingdom of heaven. But I repeat, if a person does not follow his calling, he follows, he goes a completely different direction that is called eternal perdition. And it is going to fall upon many, or rather, very few will be able to to overcome it. therefore, that you put off, considering your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man which is created according to God into righteousness and holiness. This is referring to clothing our body into the new man. And for the fulfillment of this commandment, as we know, there are three basic commands and verbs that are involved here. This is to set aside, to renew, and to clothe. We've noted that answering these fateful questions will determine whether we turn ourselves into vessels of mercy or vessels of wrath, or rather, will we perfect the salvation that is given to us in the format of a deposit, or will we waste it, because of which our names would forever be blotted out of the Book of
1: Life. And so,
0: in a certain format, we have already studied the first two questions and have stopped to study the third question, specifically, what conditions must we fulfill so that through our already renewed thinking, we could begin the process of clothing ourselves into the powers of our new man? Who was created by God in Christ Jesus in true righteousness and holiness of truth. With regard to this, we have stopped to study the condition that is contained in the 18th Psalm of David, in which the Holy Spirit, unveils the conditions thanks to which our prayer of faith can cooperate with the name of God Most High or El Elyon so that with a noise we can take off the old man and cast him into hell and then replace the power of death in our body with the kingdom of heaven in the dignity of the power of eternal
1: life.
0: We have stopped to study the next condition. Again, that is contained in the 18th Psalm of David. And his psalms are almost all allegories, parables and so forth. In this Psalm of 18th, in this psalm, the Holy Spirit, with wisdom and authority only inherent to Him, unveils the requirements on the basis of which our prayer of faith must cooperate with the name of God, El Elyon, or Most High. And when we're talking about prayer of faith, we are talking about our obedience or our submission to the faith of God in the words of the messengers of God. And this condition is comprised of us, in our distress upon taking off the old man, so that we could call out to the Most High, like to our God, and proclaim the faith of our heart in the eight names of God that are comprised of who God is for us in Christ Jesus, what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, and who we are for God in Christ Jesus. We've noted um, that going um, to his death with the weight of the cross, Jesus had turned to a small number of women and he said, wait for me in Galilee. In three days I am going to come there. I am going to be resurrected. By being on the cross, he also talked about the same resurrection. So pay attention, in these difficult circumstances, the captain of faith spoke not about these circumstances, tough circumstances, but he talked about the future where he looked at, where he looked to. If we understand this principle, then many circumstances or troubles that we endured today in our life that have cast us to the ground, they're going to disappear. Either we're going to cast them out or we're going to stand above them with our our shoulders wide and our head held high as kings and priests unto God. We've noted that this parable is one of the strongest images that portrays the collaboration of our renewed thinking in the image of King David with the name of God Most High in resistance against our carnal mind in the image of King Saul and reigning sin in the face of the old man with his works. And through the proclamation of who God is for us in Christ Jesus, what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, and who we are for God in Christ Jesus, God could receive the foundation to step into battle over our earthly bodies, to destroy sin in our body in the face of the old man with the power of his redemption, and with a noise, forever cast him into hell considering that when the old man is found in the body, then there is the atmosphere of hell in the body. Many don't want to acknowledge this, but this is their right to let them live in the atmosphere of perdition and call it paradise, if this is convenient for them. But disciples of Christ, they rebuke doing this or forbid this. If they see hell, they call it hell. And they challenge it. They challenge it with the truth that they have received, with the promises that belong to them according to their birthright. And so, according to its character, the prayer song of David contains three parts in which the standard of the character of a just prayer is presented. And this belongs, prayer belongs to those saints who have come to the dignity of kings priests and prophets the first part is a message about the state of david's heart as a warrior of prayer when it defines the just status of his prayer that is that belongs to kings priests and prophets so what is going to be the the state the state of our heart will coincide with our prayer the second part is the message about the components of a just prayer which provides the basis for God to deliver David from the hands of his enemies and the hands of Saul. And this of course our enemies is referring to our inner enemies. The third part is the message that illustrates the prayer battle itself that is beyond understanding to the mind of man. In a certain format, we have already studied the first part and have stopped to study the second part, which unveils the components of a just prayer in the eight names of God Most High. Eight means that in these names, or in this psalm, in this prayer, are presented the relationships between God and man in the boundaries of a covenant. A covenant is the number eight. On the eighth day of uh, infants were circumcised, or babes were circumcised. Sometimes uh, David in his psalms mentions ten names. When when he mentions ten names, we've already noted that ten represents the holiness of God. The number ten is tied to holiness. The number seven is fullness. The number eight, covenant. Here, he mentions eight names. And despite the fact that he mentions these eight names, I will remind you that in the Bible, in the New Testament and the Old Testament, there are 50 names of God that are present. And all of them are dissolved in one another. Therefore, when we talk about these eight names, we are going to discover the Other names of God as well. Each name of God is a portion, is the portion of his children, which they are called to inherit in Christ Jesus and through Christ Jesus. Acknowledgement and proclamation of the powers contained in the heart of David in the eight names of God allowed David to love God and offer him praise so that he could be saved from his enemies. And for God, Acknowledgement of the truth in his names in the heart of David gave him the basis to enable his capabilities that are contained in his eight names in battle against the enemies of David. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock of Israel in whom I will trust my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies who is worthy to be praised. Psalms 18, 1-4 Therefore the names are the Lord is my strength, the Lord is my rock, the Lord is my fortress, the Lord is my deliverer, the Lord is my rock of Israel, the Lord is my shield, the Lord is the horn of my salvation and the Lord is my stronghold. In a certain format, as far as God and the level of our faith have allowed us, we have already studied our portion in the powers of the names of God, Strength, Rock, Fortress, and Deliverer. And therefore, we stop to study our portion in Jesus Christ, in the name of God, Rock of Israel. With this, we will remember that this kind of prayer in which David proclaims his portion in the eight names of God Most High is the strategic teaching that is called to be the calling for kings, priests, and prophets that are anointed to reign over their earthly body.
1: And if
0: a person has not accepted such anointing to rule over his own calling, outlined in the dignity of his terrestrial body as a king, priest, and prophet in order to transform his body into a celestial body, then this revelation meant for worship to God in prayer will not bring him any benefit. And therefore, the property of the definition of the name of God, Rock of Israel, just as the previous names of God, cannot be found in any of the dictionaries of this world. Rock of Israel means the tip of a mountain cliff. Again, when we're talking about the rock, we're talking about something living that is filled with great meaning and virtue. We're not just talking about a dead dead rock or a mineral. This is referring To the tip of a mountain cliff, but a living cliff, a stone, it means stone fence, living stone fence, shelter, a shadow from the rock. This rock is also called victorious. The other meaning of rock, it's an elephant tusk made of ivory, out of which the throne of Solomon was built. He made his throne out of elephant tusk or ivory, and he overlaid it with gold. Rock means eternal dominion, the promises of imperishable food, and the consolation of the world. In this prayer song of David, the name of God, Rock of Israel, contains the inherited portion of the Son of God, in whom and through whom, together, we cooperating with the powers of the name of God, Rock of Israel, are called to receive the victorious ability to keep and expand our income received from placing the silver of our salvation into circulation, which is comprised of the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ and is the subject of the promise regarding imperishable food. This promise is the subject of imperishable food. Considering this necessary union between God and man, it becomes faithfully important for us to define the role of God as well as our own role in each sphere of our being. And for this purpose, just as in studying our portion in the previous names of God called to be the portion of our salvation, we arrived at the need to study the following classic questions. What characteristics and categories define our inherited portion in the name of God, Rock of Israel? What purpose in the realization of our salvation is our inherited portion in the name of God, Rock of Israel, intended to fulfill? What price is necessary to pay to give God the basis to be our Rock of Israel? And by what results can we define that God is truly our Rock of Israel in the realization of our salvation? We've noted that we have noted that without having clear and concise answers to these questions, which we can receive only through instruction and in faith in the order in which the body of Christ functions, we will not have the opportunity to place the silver of our salvation into circulation. And this means that without obedience to the preached word of the person who carries the powers of the fatherhood of God and his helpers, we will have no opportunity to receive a reward in the fruit of righteousness from the seed of the deposit that we placed into circulation. Any kind of promise that are given promises that are given to us through the word that we hear are given as a seed. The word is a seed, it is not given as a fruit. A seed can be accepted if the soil is good, if it is cleansed from dead works. And this is our responsibility to grow this seed. This is not the responsibility of the one who preaches any longer. The responsibility of the one who preaches is the one to give this seed exactly. And our responsibility is to grow this seed, to accept it, to prepare the soil of our heart, or rather our heart, to grow this seed, to grow it, accept it. For all the promises of God in Him are yes and in Him amen to the glory of God through us. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 As I say often, whether we want to or not, because our selfish nature, what does it want to do? It wants to resist these kind of places of Scripture where we are made dependent on another person. We want to do things ourselves. We want to do things directly, have a direct relationship with God. And we don't agree with order and principles contained in theocracy. However, we cannot transform the pro- tra- change the properties of God. It is him who has established this order. He established the order that saints are going to have communion or fellowship with him through one person and not through some kind of brotherly council or council of elders. We should note, that if upon proclaiming our inherited portion in the name of God, Rock of Israel, we see these powers outside of our heart and the proclamation of our lips, we will move forward in an unfaithful direction. Because God, in all of His unchanging names, is the portion of the inheritance only in the boundaries of the spirit, soul and body of every person who is part of the category of His chosen remnant and before receiving the right to the authority to proclaim our inherited portion in the name of God, Rock of Israel, as a subject of the faith of our heart, it is necessary to be clothed in the dignity of a disciple of Christ, whose soil of the heart is prepared to accept the seed of the implanted word and grow this seed in order to demonstrate one's power and the fruit of righteousness expressed in justice. Let us remember that only someone who desires to hear the word of God looks closely at this word lives according to this word dwells in this word and it dwells in him can overcome and battle the ancient serpent and run away from the snares of devil in order to inherit the salvation of his body through the redemption of christ
1: and so the first question
0: what characteristics and categories define our inherited portion in the name of god rock of israel during our previous services in a certain format we have already examined the first component of the definition of the name of god rock of israel which in the heart of a disciple of christ is defined as the truth that is found in the fear of the lord now these are the last words of david thus Says David, the son of Jesse. Thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. Second book of Samuel, chapter 23, verses 1 through 3. I will remind you, the phrase, The Spirit of the Lord spoke to me, and His word was on my tongue, The God of Israel said, The Rock of Israel spoke to me, tells us that this proclamation contains and defines itself in the powers of the inherited portion in the name of God, Rock of Israel. Second, this proclamation, spoken under inspiration from the Holy Spirit, living in David's heart as the Lord and ruler of his life, is the fruit of righteousness, Grown in his spirit and discovering itself in the faith of God that dwells in his heart. Third, the fruit of righteousness in the proclamation of the faith of God, revealing in the heart of David the powers of the inherited portion in the name of God, Rock of Israel, rules in the heart and the boundaries of the fear of the Lord. Fourth, the boundaries of the fear of the Lord are yielded as the word of God that comes from the lips of God and the dignity of the commandments of God that are the wisdom of God and the answer for His justice. Fifth, the fear of the Lord in fulfilling the commandments of the Lord that yield God's justice open the doors to the uncharted inheritance of Christ and in part the powers of the inherited portion in the name of God, Rock of Israel. Sixth, the inherited portion in the name of God, Rock of Israel, is focused on the fact that with the powers of the fear of the Lord, we can inherit our body through the redemption of Christ and thus be made perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Mm -hmm. Seventh, this is one of the examples when one component in the inherited portion in the name of God, Rock of Israel, discovers itself in other components in the inherited portion of the name of God, fear The second definition or portion in the dignity of the name of God, Rock of Israel, in the heart of a disciple of Christ, defines itself in the dignity of our great origin, which partakes us to Zion, which we know is the height of beauty, power, and strength in which God dwells. Isaiah chapter 51 verses 1 to 3 Listen to me you who follow after righteousness you who seek the Lord look to the rock from which you were hewn into the hole of the pit from which you were dug God did not he- God had not hewn us from a dead rock but from a living rock Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who bore you for I called him alone and blessed him and increased him So Abraham and Sarah, he had hewn them from the rock and he had dug them from the hole of the pit. For the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. As Abraham and Sarah had been comforted, so the Lord will comfort Zion. Under Isaac, we should view as a promise that is related to the door of our hope. With Isaac, but through Isaac he had comforted Abraham and Sarah. And Isaac this promise is referring to our the the redemption of our body. The redemption of our body is going to comfort us. He will make her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in it. Thanksgiving in the voice of Melody. The phrase for the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in it. Thanksgiving in the voice of Melody. Is the result that the category of people who are hewn out of the rock of Israel will inherit? In other words, people who are hewn out of the rock is evidence of who we are to God. We need to know who we are before God. If we were hewn from the rock, this means that we are a rock. That means that we are the children of God. We are relatives of God. We are His family. Which makes us a living definition of the portion in the name of God, Rock of Israel. Whereas the phrase, look to the hole of the pit from which you were dug, tells us that God has done tells us what God has done so that we can be carriers of the portion of the name of God, Rock of Israel. However, in order to inherit all that God has done for us and thus define the essence of the portion contained in the name of God, Rock of Israel, and become living carriers of this portion, it is necessary for us to look and fulfill a few components or conditions that are presented in this place of Scripture. First, we are must submit to God or to submit our faith to the faith of God in the words of the messenger of God. Here we are talking about the, the words, listen to me, those, in this place of scripture, going back to it, says, listen to me, you who follow after righteousness. Second, we need to demonstrate in our faith our strive toward righteousness preached by the carriers of righteousness who are the messengers of God. Third, we must search for the Lord when we can find him and call upon him when he is near. Fourth, we must look at the rock from which we were hewn and the depth of the pit from which we were dug. Fifth, we must look to Abraham our father and Sarah who had birthed to us. Just as God had called him alone, blessed him, and increased him. Sixth, we must have evidence of our organized partaking to Zion, to whom is entrusted the promise that lies in the name of God, Rock of Israel. It should be borne in mind that these six components are in wonderful balance in relation to each other, because they come from each other, find themselves in each other, support each other, and identify the truth of each other. However, in order to fulfill the existing conditions, first of all, we need to realize and understand the reason why Zion, of which we are partakers, suddenly turned into ruins and became a desert and a steep. The fact that God is the rock of Israel and the dignity of Zion points to the fact that God is a rock only to the house of Israel who is viewed as a warrior of prayer. Israel represents or stands for warrior of prayer because, again, the name Israel, the definition is a person who gives God the right to pray with man and pray for man in in order to deliver him from the corrupt desires of his flesh. And so now, the first reason why Zion, representing the warriors of prayer, was left in ruins was because God intended to destroy the power of death in our bodies. Ruins are the powers of death, ruins are the powers of death. The second reason. Why Zion, representing the warriors of Zion, was left in ruins is because in the dimension of time, among Zion, who represents God's chosen remnant in the dignity of a warrior of prayer, dwelled sinners, just as tares are found among wheat up until a certain time. Psalms, a psalm of Asaph, the mighty one, God the Lord has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to its going down. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God will shine forth. Our God shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour him, and it shall be very tempestuous all around him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth, that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Let the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am your God." I will not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. I will not take a bull from your house, nor goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine, and all its fullness." Will I eat the flesh of bulls, or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God thanksgiving, and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you. You shall be My, or you shall glorify me.
1: God
0: eats and drinks the praise of the human heart. Continuing. He also eats and drinks va- Our vows. Our vows are when we enter into a covenant with God, when we do so, when we promise to fulfill certain conditions of this law. This is a vow. A vow is a promise to fulfill this
1: word. God will deliver
0: us if we call upon him in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, he says, and you shall glorify me. But to the wicked, God says, who is among Zion, who is among God's chosen remnants, What right have you to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth, seeing you hate instruction and cast my words behind you? When you saw a thief, you consented with him, meaning you uphold him, you support him, you continue to have relations with him, you do not condemn his actions and have been a partaker with adulterers. You give your mouth to evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother, You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I kept silent. You thought that I was altogether like you, but I will rebuke you, and set them in order before your eyes. Now consider this, you who forget God, lest I tear you in pieces, and there be none to deliver. Whoever offers praise glorifies me, and to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. Psalms Chapter 50, verses 1 through 23. And so the first component, giving God the foundation to comfort Zion, partakers of which we are, is to submit to God in the words of his messengers and demonstrate the submission of our faith to the faith of God. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? To see the grace of God. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Psalms 34, verses 11 through 14. So one more place of scripture that tell us that we must listen. God calls us so that we can listen to him in the words of his messengers. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 20. They had won this battle, because Jehoshaphat, he had called them to look upon who they are before God, who God is for them and what God has done for them. Therefore, they didn't look at how armed they are, how prepared they are for war. In fact, it's impossible to be prepared for war, to a spiritual war, if you do not look upon the perfecter of your faith. When you look at the perfecter of your faith, you are ready for war. As soon as your eyes turn away, you are not ready for war. Isaiah 51, verses 4 through 7, Listen to me, my people, and give ear to me, O my nation. For law will proceed from me, and I will make my justice rest as a light of the peoples. My righteousness is near. My salvation has gone forth. And my arms will judge the peoples, the coastlands will wait upon me, and on my arm they will trust. Again, remember when we're talking about coastlands, why not the whole earth? Why just coastlands will wait upon him? Because coastlands are an image of a person who is uh, who was separated, who was dedicated, who is separated from those who have not been sanctified. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look on the earth beneath, for the heavens will vanish away like smoke. The earth will grow old like a garment, and those who dwell in it will die in like manner. Listen to me, you who know righteousness. In order to listen to God, we need to incline our ear. Here we're talking about humility. for A person doesn't want to acknowledge that he who speaks the word is wiser than him in relation to the word of God. He begins to try and control him. Why? Because they have chosen this person. When God establishes a person, you cannot be wiser than him. Don't, Don't try to be wiser than him because God reveals to him his wisdom for you. He has been established for you. Therefore you don't need to be jealous and you don't need to groan at God's at God's order. this is the principle of God. doesn't matter how he reveals this wisdom to us. He reveals it through this person and we become in this moment become just like him. That which was given to this person is now our belonging. what is the reason? Why do we groan? Because this isn't selfishness or in ignorance. I don't want you to talk to me through this person. Then he says, All right, I will separate you. You will go left and will head into perdition. Only the one who inclines his ear will be able to hear. The second component, giving God the foundation to comfort Zion, partakers of which we are, is to demonstrate in our faith our strive toward righteousness, preached by the carriers of righteousness that are the messengers of God. To follow righteousness in Hebrew means to chase, hunt. The meaning of this verb is to change our priorities, and that which was previously an advantage for us should be considered futile, or that which was which has lost all value and turned into rubbish. So you
1: see, when there is.
0: There comes a point in some economies where the dollar loses money and whatever we gather, we might think it's riches, but the government can uh, proclaim a default and all of your dollars, all of your saved up money would just be simply money. They would be considered nothing, but that which you have given to God. It's never going to turn into rubbish. It's going to grow and multiply, and God is going to keep it and contain it. But that which is in banks, God isn't going to keep this. He keeps only that which is in His bank. Apostle Paul writes, But that what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. So, meaning, he had seen that everything that he had before is rubbish in relation to knowledge of Jesus Christ that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness that is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Third, the third component, giving God the foundation to comfort Zion, partakers of which we are, is the necessity of searching for the Lord when He can be found and calling on Him when He is near. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near.
1: To call upon God
0: means to proclaim with our lips and to hear what God is going to say to come and to hear, to prepare our hearts for hearing the word of God. This is what it means to call upon him. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. When we say, uh, let the wicked leave, forsake his way, this is talking about those people who do uh lawlessness but don't realize it. The carnal people, what they try to do is they try to take the place of God. This is an attempt to take place of the position of the person whom God has established. When a person does not understand this and does not intend to do this, then God tells him, let the wicked forsake his way. This wickedness is when you say, I want you to speak directly to me, God. Just as Dima had said about this brother that He wanted God to specifically speak to him and he wanted to go pray and he wanted to go fast until God told him that if you want me to speak to you, return to church and there I will be able to speak to you. You see, he didn't understand. And this action was uh, wickedness in the eyes of God. And God said, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon if he would not have known. But when he had known, he had immediately turned. But the one who does find out the truth and he does not return to the Lord, he turns into a wicked person, into the state of wickedness. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there but water the earth and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. We're talking about our land, the soil of our heart. When you hear the word, if the seed is already there, then it gets watered. And then in order for it to produce fruit or to give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, first, I sow. And then when you accept the seed you must also become the sower and then when you say let it be to me according to your word only then the seed ends up in the soil of your heart so from the based on the fact that i'm just saying it if you don't by faith accept it and if you don't proclaim this faith so that it in your lips could become the seed When you say, let it be to me according to your word, O Lord, you have become a sower. And then God says, I will give you rain, so that um, it may give seed to the sower and bread to to the eater.
1: There's
0: word that we take and sow, and word that we take as bread and eat. So shall my word be that goes forth from my, my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. And so, this is referring to those who hear and accept this word and who call upon the name of the Lord. For you shall go out with joy and be let out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you mountains are the promises of god and hills is the covenant of god figurative, figuratively those who have promises and who stand in a covenant with god they're going to sing songs with sing songs to you and all the trees of the fields shall clap their hands to you a true a true tree has no no hands But here it says that all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. This is referring to the trees of God. God views each individual person as his tree in his field. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree. We know that the thorn is an image of when a person judges or when he thinks about things that are earthly and he strives to become rich. These are thorns. They completely destroy the seed. A set of the thorns shall come up the cypress tree. Cypress trees are an image of righteousness. And instead of the brier shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign. A breer is a kind of unpleasant character. You try to speak with a person and he begins to have an unpleasant character towards you these are people who are resentful they have resentment in their heart. they have taken offense you speak with them and they begin to uh, answer to you with sarcasm you didn't try to offend him but for some reason he accepted this as as an offense and as as an insult and these people are known as breers and instead of a beer shall come up a myrtle tree myrtle trees are fragrance when people turn to you you will be a fragrance and if people act towards you with sarcasm you are going to be cover this sarcasm and you are not going to answer sarcasm with sarcasm as one brother, young brother told me he wanted to propose uh, to this one girl in church when he began to talk to her it seemed to him that she answered sarcastically to him and he tells me that she thought that I couldn't answer sarcastically and I showed her that I have I have enough wit to answer sarcastically as well. And that's it, right? So he answered her sarcastically and, and she didn't like it. If you think that she is talking sarcastically towards you, be gentle. Don't answer sarcastically back. Because only with gentleness you can turn a woman, you know, you can turn this female towards you. If you try to show the pride of your mind, you're going to be despised by her, or rather not despised, but unpleasant to her. This is talking about that brier and that myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. So this is what is going to occur with those people in order for... The, this is what they are going to be like when they are hewn from the rock. The fourth component, giving God the foundation to comfort Zion, partakers of which we are, is to look upon the rock from which we were hewn in the depths of the pit from which we were delivered. These six components, they are one essence. Remember that. Proclamation to sprinkle is to proclaim the faith of our heart. When you begin to proclaim the faith of your heart, what God has done for you, for you to be righteous, then in doing so, you are sprinkling, being, sprinkling, being sprinkled from an evil conscience. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So, thus, God shows us that having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus by new and living way take a look at how you enter the holiest by through the blood of Jesus by a new and living way this new way represents the living rock the rock from which we were hewn I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry he also brought me up out of a horrible pit out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps he has put a new song in my mouth praise to our God many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud nor such as turn aside to lies the pit from which we are dug is the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Despite the fact that it seems to us that we are drowning, we will not drown because we are in Christ. The same way when Noah was in the ark, for him, this was terrible. This was terrible for him when the ark was swayed from side to side, when the waters had, uh, when the waters had caused it to to twirl about. There were four winds that were sent to the land, to the earth. The the waves were such a height that Jews that followed scripture in Hebrew, they say that the waters of the flood could be about 20 meters high at that time. Can you imagine when these kind of winds, uh, any kind of ship out there, it's going to be like a piece of paper in the water and so take a look out of the pit from which we were brought up this ark is like this pit because having been placed there you don't know when you're going to be brought out you don't know how long you're going to be found in in there god did not say how long he's going to be there for when we are found in the death of the lord jesus we don't know how long is going to pass because on that side when there. The death of the Lord Jesus begins. This is not a dimension of time. There is no exact specific time. This, there is eternity contained there. And we in this kind of pit are, are found in. The fifth component. Giving God the foundation to comfort Zion, partakers of which we are. Just to look at Abraham our father and Sarah who gave birth to us and the essence in which God called him alone blessed him and increased him now the Lord God said to Abram we are talking about how God increased him multiplied him how did this happen we need to look not just at Abraham but God how God multiplied him and this is how he multiplied him first the Lord said to Abram get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to, learn, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. Pay attention how we must look at Abraham. Specifically, just as God had called him. He had to die to his nation, the house of his father, and his own soul. And God says... I will show you, I'll make you a great nation, I will bless you and make your name great. You aren't going to need to do something in order for your name to become known. You don't need any kind of fame. I am going to be your fame. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. Take a look at what God has done for us in Abraham. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. This is how we must look at this. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran. And they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. So they had come into the land of Canaan. To come to the land of Canaan means to come to the promise of the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ. The sixth component giving God the foundation to comfort Zion, partakers of which we are, is to have evidence of our partaking to Zion, to whom the promise is offered in the dignity of the portion of the name of God, Rock of Israel. I'm going to read one of the places of Scripture, uh, written in Luke, chapter 14, verses 15 through 35. Now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said to him, again we're talking about our partaking to Zion. A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time. Here in this parable we see the Son of God from the name of the Father he calls many to this feast. He said to those who were invited come for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The time for the feast is when the promises are going to be revealed regarding the adoption of our bodies. This is what this feast is comprised of. This is already the wedding feast that is occurring. Because as soon as a person accepts this, he is going to have evidence that he is going to be raptured in the coming of the Lord Jesus. They all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. Meaning, here we see those for whom evangelism, they have paid a price for the right to evangelize. They have applied all their energy, there, all of their uh, knowledge, all of their experience, all that they have. And for them, evangelism is the quintessence of their life. They think that this is that which they must do, that this is their calling. Therefore, they forsook that calling to go to the feast. God reveals to them that this is not your calling you're calling us to go to this feast, but he says, I brought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. Of course, in the literal sense of the word, these people aren't sorry before God. This is just presented in this prayer bowl this way. Another said, I have brought five yoke of oxen and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. So he had seen that he has the ability to, To have his emotions, he can control his emotions. So what? Okay, a person can come to this in Christ Jesus to control his emotions, but he doesn't know the goal. Why must he control his emotions? What is the goal that God pursued so that you can become a king? To control your feelings is to be a king but this person was not a priest and not a prophet because he didn't know why this was necessary what purpose God had pursued with this he says I bought five oxen five yoke of oxen and I paid a price for them I paid a price to have to reign over myself now I reign over myself I can't come to your feast please have me excused another said I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. This is referring to those evangelists who begin to create churches. They created churches and now they think that they have gotten married and he can't, that this calling to the feast is not belonging to him. Not one evangelist will be able to, uh, to give up evangelism. he comes out, he rejoices, and he says again and again and again, how much money will you give me? There's one more news channel that we have created, or TV channel. They always talk about how many repented, what God does, and people cry and they rejoice, not understanding that they have given up the feast. Why are you crying? Okay, you gained what? what benefit is it? The fact that you have now received this word, what is your benefit? What do I have from it? Sometimes these kind of people do come and they say, this person so and so did this. I ask him, what am I going to get from this? He looks at me, questionably, I and I say to him, you said that God did this and this and this for these people. What do I have from this? What do I have from this that God has done something for these people through there? He doesn't understand. And I told him, what do you have from this that you're telling me? What did you gain from this? Why do we need to tell one another about what you have done? Our people, our people, us, we don't eat this. We don't eat this kind of food. We need something different. What kind of benefit you're going to gain the whole world, but you, but you forsake your, but you forsake God. He looked at me, not understanding. I said, "All right, let me give you five hundred dollars, so that you do not preach here in my church. Is this enough for you?" He said, "It's enough." So he wanted to preach here. What are you going to preach here? <laughs> he said, "I am. I'm an evangelist. I'm going to talk about how God is acting at how many churches I have already made, <laughs> how many wives I have." So, their servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, "Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, and the maimed, and the lame, and the blind." The poor, maimed, lame, and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out in the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. You see, he called them, but they refused. For many are called, but few are chosen. When he had talked about, uh, great multitudes were with him when he talked about this parable. And he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And furthermore, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest, after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. for the one that's coming in 20,000 because 10,000 is a law and 20,000 is grace it's an image of grace he is coming to him he has been told and what must he do? he must refuse so whoever does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple you must give up all in order to gain the Lord salt is good but if the salt has lost its flavor how shall it be seasoned it is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill but men throw it out he who has ears to hear let him hear if we have in our heart evidence that we have fulfilled these six components we are living carriers of the portion contained in the name of God rock of Israel Third, the portion and the dignity of the name of God, rock of Israel, in the heart of a disciple of Christ, defines itself in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the cliff. O my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Songs of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 14. The phrase, O oh my dove, in the clefts of the rock, is addressed by the beloved in the face of the Lord Jesus, to his beloved who is known as the most beautiful of women in the face of his bride. The fact that in this allegory, the Lord as the beloved, refers to his beloved bride as a dove, suggests that his beloved is endowed with the nature of the Holy Spirit. The The definition of the place where the dove is located deserves special attention, since this place is the definition of our inherited inheritance, hidden in the name of God, Rock of Israel. A dove, my dove, in the clefts of the rock. The phrase, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely, affirms in the dove the special and unique nature of the Holy Spirit. However, in order to study our inherited portion in this allegory, in the name of God, Rock of Israel, we will need to answer several questions. First, what unique property clothes the Beloved in the dignity of a dove and makes her look like the Holy Spirit? Second, what is the character of the place where the Beloved hides in the dignity of a dove? Third, what is so special about the voice of the Beloved and her face? So the first question, what unique property clothes the Beloved in the dignity of a dove and makes her look like the Holy Spirit? So if we look like the Holy Spirit, then this word is meant for us. That means that we are found in the clefts of the rock. In order to understand this unique property of the Beloved in the dignity of a dove, we will need to recall the essence and role of God the Holy Spirit in His interaction with God the Father and with God the Son. Despite the fact that God the Holy Spirit has the same power and the same crushing force as God the Father and God the Son, and between them, absolute harmony reigns as well as complete dependence and absolute love. There is a unique property inherent only to God the Holy Spirit. This is the complete love complete lack of ability to protect one's own interests and the complete lack of ability to take on personal fame this is how the Holy Spirit differs from the Heavenly Father and from the Son of God Jesus Christ it follows that the beloved in the dignity of a dove is not able to protect her own interests And in protecting her interests, she fully relies on the mercy of the beloved. And furthermore, the beloved in the dignity of a dove is not able to accept and protect the interests of personal fame or glory, but is able to protect the glory of her beloved whenever the living creatures give glory and honor thanks to him who sits on the throne who lives forever and ever the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying you are worthy O Lord to receive glory this is their glory but they don't consider it their glory they say you are worthy O Lord to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Revelation chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. Moreover, as the communication of God the Father and God the Son takes place through the God of the Holy Spirit and in the Holy Spirit, the final fulfillment of the will of the heavenly Father and God the Son belongs exclusively to the role of the God the Holy Spirit. It follows that the final fulfillment of the will of the heavenly Father and God the Son belongs exclusively to the role of the beloved, clothed in the power of the Holy Spirit on the dignity of a dove. The role of God the Father, as we know, is that he is responsible for the designs that are in his depths. The role of God the Son is that He is responsible for translating heavenly, the Heavenly Father's intentions into the Word. The role of the Holy Spirit is to fulfill and activate the thought of God the Father expressed in the Word of God the Son. From the role of the Holy Spirit it follows that the role of the Beloved, clothed in the power of the Holy Spirit and the dignity of a dove, is to confess the thought of God the Father expressed in the Word of the Son of God by proclaiming the faith of the heart. In other words, the confession of the faith of God abiding in our hearts makes our words and their significance equivalent to the words of God coming from the mouth of God. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. The darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And in this version of the translation, the word God in Hebrew is given in the plural. This means that in the creation of heaven and earth were involved God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In this passage of Scripture, a process is presented in the sequence of creation of heaven and earth. The phrase, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water, tells us that God created the water that was called to become the material for the creation of heaven and earth. But by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water. The uniqueness of the water from which God intended to create heaven and earth is presented as the informational program in God's plans. The phrase, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, tells us that God the Holy Spirit penetrated the informational program in the thoughts of God, and hovering over the thoughts of God known to him showed in active expectation his awe, his thirst, and his willingness to immediately fulfill the will of God at the time set by him. It follows that the beloved, clothed in the power of the Holy Spirit or in the dignity of a whole, of a dove, penetrated the informational program with the thoughts of God and hovering over the thoughts of God she knew, showed in active expectation her awe, her thirst, and her willingness to immediately fulfill the will of God at the time set by Him. As it is written, Eye has not seen, nor ear has heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us, meaning them to us, through his Spirit, to his doves. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, compared spiritual things with spiritual. 1 Corinthians 2, 9-13, and finally the phrase, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light, says that as soon as God the Father opens the time for the fulfillment of His informational program through God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, immediately fulfills the word coming from the mouth of God. This was before creation, until there was man. But after the creation of man, God had lost this ability. He had now, at that point, made him dependent on his dove. Now his dove is going to be that role. It's going to fulfill that role, that person through whom God is going to conclude his actions. It is called to bring his actions to fulfillment. Because after God had created man, he had said that let us make man according to our likeness and our image, let him be sovereign. Now, in his sovereignty, to enter into his sovereignty, man can uh, allow this. And when he hears God and when he agrees with this. It follows that as soon as the Beloved, clothed in the power of the Holy Spirit or the dignity of a dove, receives the revelation of the time of the fulfillment of the promise that she expects, she immediately brings this promise to fulfillment by confessing the faith of God that dwells in her heart. To confirm the existing concept of the first three verses, of the first chapter of the book of Genesis, we will turn to John chapter 1, verses 1-5. through 5. Uh, Not long ago, we had heard This interesting and beautiful thought that is placed in the book of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. John chapter 1 verses 1 through 5. So this place of scripture which contains deep meaning giving an initial understanding of the essence of God is a double version of the translation from the original Greek to Latin and then from Latin to Russian. For clarity I will mention two more versions that are going to help us understand the essence of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and the role of each of them in interaction with each other. The first version sounds like this. In the beginning was the word Logos, thought. And the word Logos, Logos is thought. Logos in Greek is thought, but the translators had translated it to word rather than thought. Word was in the depths of God, and Logos, the thought, defined the essence of God. Rema, Rema actually stands for the Word. Rema, the Word, was at the beginning of God the Son. Everything through Rema, the Word, began to be, and without Rema, the Word, nothing began to be. Here, when we, where we see Rema in Greek, we are talking about the Son of God, about the Word and nothing began to be what began to be without Rama, and in Rama the word was life and life was light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it the second version of this very same translation sounds like this at the beginning the informational program and identity of God's thought was in the depths of God the Father and determined the essence of God the Father Everything came to be through the informational program of the thought of God the Father Turned into the word of God the Son Everything came to be through the informational program Contained in the thought of God the Father turned into the Word of God the Son and without the informational program Contained in the thought of God the Father turned into the Word of God the Son, nothing would come to be that came to be. In the informational program containing the thoughts of God the Father turned into the Word of God the Son was eternal life. Eternal Life, containing in itself the informational program of God, was the light of the light of men. In the light of eternal life containing the informational program of God in the darkness shines, and darkness did not comprehend it. It follows that the Beloved clothed in the power of the Holy Spirit or in the dignity of a dove for people is the light of eternal life. This light shines in darkness and darkness cannot grasp it. Darkness does not have the ability to comprehend this light. You are the light to the world. Further, attention should be paid to the property of God, the Holy Spirit, which consists in the inability to protect oneself from neglect by people. This is noted in Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. When men began to multiply in the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, of all whom they chose. These daughters of men were the daughters of Cain. The Lord said... Again, we're not talking about uh, their outer beauty. Their service was different. Cain had built a city, and he had an original form of, of service. It was so enticing that the sons of God were enticed by it. And they took wise from the selves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. And so I will remind you that the daughters of men are the offspring of Cain, who, in the service of God, tried through their own deeds, which they concerted good, to draw the favor of God upon themselves. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city, and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. The sons of God are the descendants of Seth, descended from his son Enos. Who began to call on God. And Adam knew his wife again. And she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has anointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born. And he called him Enosh. Why? Because then they began to call on the name of the Lord. There was a service to God that began to be formed. The union of the sons of God with the daughters of Cain was regarded by God as a disregard for the Holy Spirit. Thus, the neglect of the daughters of God descended from Seth in favor of the daughters of men descended from Cain was equated with the neglect of the Holy Spirit. It follows that the neglect of the beloved clothed in the power of the Holy Spirit or in the dignity of a dove was equated and is equated today with neglect of the Holy Spirit. When people begin to neglect us, God views this as neglect toward the Holy Spirit, because we uh, have this inability to protect ourselves, this quality of the Holy Spirit. Under the image of the daughters of men, one should consider the image of human deeds, the good deeds of which come from their own flesh, which are equated with the service of Cain. Union with such religious services and movements is perceived by God as neglect of the Holy Spirit and is doomed by God to perdition, due to which God will separate this unholy union from true worshippers who call on God in the face of no one, his family, representing the image of God's chosen remnants. He who is not with me is against me And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad Therefore I say to you Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men But the blasphemy against the Spirit Will not be forgiven men Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man It will be forgiven him But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit It will not be forgiven him Either in this age or in the age to come, Matthew chapter 12 verses 30 through 32. To be with Christ, to follow Christ and to gather with Christ is to be with those who follow the word of the messengers of God. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. John chapter 20, verses 21 through 23. And so to present the portion, the name of God, rock of Israel, means to follow and to obey the preached word of the people who are clothed in the powers of the fatherhood of God, who represent the image of a dove. The second question, what is the character of the place in which the beloved hides in the dignity of a dove? Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. In this allegory, to better understand our portion, the name of God, Rock of Israel, we should pay attention to the etymology of words such as cleft, rock cliff because they are dissolved in one another they discover themselves in one another fulfill one another and they define the authenticity of one another in Hebrew in this place of scripture cleft means cleft between two rocks means a fortress a refuge and we know that two clefts uh, clefts in a rock represent the meme and the rim. Two clefts represent the Mim and Urim. and a person who was found hidden and who was found before, uh, between Urim and Thomim, he is found in the, under the protection of this rock. Rock means stronghold, gold, defender, stone, hill. Again, this is referring to a living rock, a living rock which is gold, and gold is the word of God, it is redemption. We are redeemed from our vain lives through the redemption of Jesus Christ. Secret places. The secret places is the protection, the veil, the covering, an inaccessible place. This is referring to the body of Christ because uh, the veil in the temple is an image of the body of Christ. When it was torn, it, it represents the body of Christ being torn. And the cliff itself uh, means a, s- a sharp tip. Basically, the meaning of these words can come to... can uh, we By defining these words, we can arrive to one definition. The place where the beloved dwells and the dignity of a dove is dwelling, is the dwelling of Christ in her and her dwelling in Christ. The third question, How, why is the voice and the face of the Beloved so special? Or what criteria defines her voice and her face? Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Songs of Solomon 2.14 Take a look at how God desires the proclamation of the faith of the heart. Your voice is sweet. How he acknowledges this. Therefore, the image of a dove that is in the clefts of the rock, whose face is pleasant in the eyes of the beloved, is a person who fears God and who acts according to the work of God works of righteousness Peter opened his mouth and said in truth I perceive that God shows no partiality but in every nation who fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him <laughs> your your face is beautiful your voice is sweet he says your face is lovely the word which God sent to the children of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ he is Lord of all Acts chapter 10 verses 34 through 36 Jesus is the Lord of all not just the people of Israel but the all people because in Adam when God had given Adam the promise in the seed of the woman he referred not to the people of Israel but all who are going to come from Adam all the sons of Noah Shem, Ham and Japheth all belong to salvation he is the Lord of all if this person fears God and works the righteousness of God He is lovely before God. If he calls himself a Jew and Israelite and does not fear God and does not act act or practice the works of righteousness, he is not a dove. He is not a beloved. This This place of scripture is not referring to him. And therefore, if a person fears God, again, he acts according to the righteousness of God. This means that the righteousness of God dwells in him. And he dwells in the righteousness of God. The face of this kind of person is always going to uh, take hold of God and always be pleasing to God. When God sees this kind of a person, he falls in love with him. His heart begins to, to beat faster. He, with trembling, looks at this person. Imagine just like a young person when he first sees his beloved and when he looks at her. This face is pleasant to him. He wants to see this face more and more often. This is just figuratively, so that you could you could imagine. God literally says that He is, He falls in love with these people, and He wants them to demonstrate or to show their faces to Him, because being found in this kind of cleft or in this secret place, He cannot see their face there, because. This cleft talks about, or this rock talks about the death of Christ. He wants them to come out. He wants to see the glory of resurrection on their faces. The sweetness of the voice of the dove is comprised of the proclamation of the grace of God that has reigned in her heart through the fruit of righteousness. So that is sin reigned in death. Even so, grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 5, verse 21. Proverbs 16, verses 21 24 says, The wise in heart will be called prudent, and sweetness of the lips increases learning. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. We are talking about why her voice is sweet because with her words she heals herself. In her words there is healing. Before all else, we must heal ourselves. Christ did not ref- did not mean for us to heal others, to preach to others. He wanted first and foremost for us to preach to ourselves and to heal ourselves. This is what he referred to. He has healing. We say, Lord, when are you going to he- heal us? He says, I will give you the seed of healing, but you must grow it and you heal yourself with it. If I will give you healing as a gift, then this gift might bring you to one thing, to pride. Although God sometimes does give this gift to infants and He does heal them in this very same hour. But as a rule, these people then are very prideful. I've met very many people who had received healing while being carnal people. And they, like a chicken without a head on, they just run around and they only talk about this, that this person goes and visits other churches and they talk about how God heals them. And they add on to this story, they add on to it, add on to it, add on to it, and then there's a whole story that is completely different than the original event To summarize, the dove dwelling in the clefts of the rock and in the secret places, to summarize, she is a portion of the name of God, Rock of Israel. And only by becoming her, our, heart can become a portion in the name of God, rock of Israel. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord, Proverbs 18.22. So he who has found this rock, this cleft, because in order to be placed in Christ Jesus, so in order to be placed into it, in order to be found between these two uh, clefts, between Urim and Thummim, we can only in one place, which is called Zion. High Jerusalem. Together, we are going to pray. Our time has come to an end, and we are going to thank God for that word that we were able to have today before the face of the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name that again and again. You have given us the opportunity to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name so that here we can call upon your name so that here we can accept the seed of your word, the seed of your promise, so that here we can accept the water in order to grow this promise. We thank you that you give us the seed. To sow, and you give us this bread as food. We thank you for this precious promise that makes us a partaker of your essence. We thank you that these promises have become evidence that we are going to be transformed, we are going to be raptured to meet with the Lord in the air, and we wait for this meeting, and we wait for the transformation of our bodies from being earthly to heavenly. In our hearts we have accepted this promise and we grow it and we thank you for this opportunity. We value your word. Let your mercy be blessed forever and ever upon your saints. Your healing that you have sent in your word, in your seed, let it grow In the fruit of healing in your children, in your children who fear you, who hear your word. And if we somehow act incorrectly, forgive us when we repent before your countenance, because we do not want to sin knowing that we are called to be yours. And therefore, let the Lord forgive the trespasses of his people who will repent before him. We thank You for the opportunity to repent and to once again get up and to once again proclaim Your righteousness. Let Your saints be blessed before Your countenance and may Your Word be blessed in their hearts. Your healing, let it grow in them. And Your Word, let it lift them up. Let them be protected from all evil. And let let Your blessing, Your goodness fall upon them let your rock keep them safe we bow down before you and we glorify you Almighty God Father Son and Holy Spirit Amen our Father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the hand of the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling,